0: I'm Jim Hogan and I am the Principal Innovation Strategist at Google Cloud and I am also the Vice President of Accessibility and Technology for Alphabet's uh, Disability Alliance. And, and then in both roles I, I drive innovation uh, through our products and through our, our um, customers through Google Cloud. So.
1: And my idol. <laughs> yeah. Jim is who I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> Welcome to the latest Blue Notes podcast on leadership. You've just heard from Jim from Google, and the other person you heard from was Karina Parasella, who's done a lot of fascinating stories on Blue Notes around leadership. She's clearly a fan of Jim's, and this is a really fascinating conversation. So Jim, wonderful to be talking with you today about transforming with kindness. Um, I'm really eager for us to have a discussion and share our views on why this kind of leadership is so critical, especially for companies, you know, leading people in the 21st century. But first, I'd love to know a little bit about you and your path at Google. You're, I've done my research, you're an innovator, you're a human rights activist, and a very strong representative of what is possible for autistic individuals. Can you tell us a bit about your journey getting to this point and, and your life at Google?
0: I can. So- I'm in the 39th year of my career, and I joined Google uh, 37 years in. And uh, the first 37 years were no picnic because I was brutalized and bullied everywhere I went. So being autistic, uh, there was all kinds of things I tried, uh, but regardless, I just never ever found this elusive belonging that people said existed until I got to Google. And and that's really what made me a a changed bee is because I, I finally found uh, a place where I felt like I belonged, and you know I really felt like that that was important. And there's like so much that, that goes into that. Um, but my my path has basically taken me from uh, being a self-taught uh, computer scientist at age nine to uh, building a, a software company and you know selling a software company. And moving from, uh, you know, basically just kind of floating around. And I've been a, at a couple of large corporate environments. Uh, you know, always been a, a, a manager, uh, you know, managing people, and you know, and I have some some amazing stories. So it's uh, uh but uh, but the odyssey was was not always easy. So including a, a wonderful mental health hospitalization due to hostile workplace, where mm. I was just basically uh, tormented to the point to where they. Celebrated their victory by by exiting me from the organization in a in a in basically a, the easy way to say it is they just exited me in an ambulance. But uh, um, but my you know when I got the opportunity I I went went through the Google the Google interview process and and basically just like superstitious like I'm not going to tell anybody about this because I I don't want to jinx it. So just went through the process and all of a sudden you know there was an offer being made. And they were like, how much money do you want to make? And I was like, this is Google. Like, you know, so I put my serious business head on and I gave them numbers and and, uh, and everything panned out in like the, the, the three minute negotiation. And, and I got an offer letter. And so the first person I called was my mom and I did a FaceTime call with her and it's COVID. COVID is raging. This is like May of 2020. Uh, I hadn't seen her in almost a year. I, was, I basically, Said, Mom, I got a job at Google, and and she was like so happy and proud and excited, and because she knew that me, her her baby boy, you know, at this point, fifty-three year old baby boy, uh, was finally going to find a place that would that would appreciate. Um, she knew that autism at Google was something. I like fifteen years ago, I had done some work with the SketchUp thing that had something to do with the autism community. So I knew that Google was very autism friendly and from the interview process of course I asked a bunch of questions like you know what is what is it like for autistic people there and and uh so I basically told her all of that and I had a flight already booked to see her on Saturday and the call took place like on Tuesday and I said mom it's a great story I'm going to tell you everything on Saturday and uh and then she went and died on me on Friday night and that was our last conversation and so when you're when you put that into perspective and she's basically said the last words that she said to my sisters was he's going to be okay and so you can't go into something like that um, and not join the new company and say like you're going to do something different this time because the only common denominator in my life was me you know the only common denominator in all the problems that i had was was i was just being the same gym and so and then the same weekend that my mom passed away george floyd was murdered and I was curled up in a ball on the floor in grief and my and in hearing him calling out for his mother while I was grieving my mother and it was just such a triggering event for me. Um and I was basically metamorphosized. Like I stood up and said that like I'm no longer gonna sit idly by and watch people get bullied. I'm no longer gonna sit by uh and, and let people, you know, live anything but their best lives. And and when I join Google, I'm going to be the global leader that I know I can be, and you know, eventually they're going to fly me all over the world to exotic destinations like Melbourne, Australia. So, so pre, you know, um, self-fulfilling prophecy basically. But I, but I did, I was a change B because I realized that th- that belonging doesn't have anything to do with the people that are external to you. It has to do with you. Mm-hmm. Belonging is about finding people to tell your story and realizing that if you get people to start whispering your story, it's a lot better than than screaming at yourself. Mm -hmm. And also because I joined during COVID, I had access over video conferencing to people I wouldn't have normally had access to. If I had joined outside of COVID, they would have just stuck me in a cubicle someplace and asked me to, you know, "Here's here's your file folder of problems we need you to solve, and I wouldn't have any contact with anybody. But because everybody missed each other, there was like these COVID happy hours that were happening Like my first week in the job, I ended up getting connected with, you know, the managing, my managing director, uh, you know, ended up, you know, oh, my, my, uh, my Godson is, is autistic. And, and then, you know, once you start telling your story, people come out of the woodwork and that's why, you know, the, the importance of my career journey is about this. It's about these sessions where we can do our best to build awareness. Um, because if we do it right, awareness will lead to acceptance and then acceptance will lead to inclusion and then if we really all do our jobs, inclusion will lead to that immersive sense of belonging that everybody deserves to feel. So mm-hmm. and that's what I am. I'm a belonging champion. So What's that. Okay. And that's my that's my story. That's why we didn't talk to Jim Hogan eight years ago. Um because I had to go through a few things to actually, you know, transform into mm-hmm. into into being who I am today. So
1: and I love that you're leveraging every opportunity to tell your story and you're leveraging the scale of a company like Google to be able to get that out there and share your story and you've talked so courageously about the challenges you faced as a, a young autistic boy and you know working your way into the corporate world and, and those challenges that you experienced there. You've often talked about how belonging and that psychological safety is the fuel of innovation. I think these are your words. How does something so simple and human as belonging really create that sense of innovation in a company like Google, for instance?
0: Well, the first thing if you talk to an innovation, uh, somebody who calls themselves an innovation specialist, they'll start talking about failure. And failing fast, failing big, failing often, fail, fail, fail. You know, So basically failure is the currency of innovation. So if you work for a large bank and somebody tries to put an innovation that has to do with your security or something, uh, you don't have any currency for that. You don't have any ability to fail. Um, There's no, there's no like, let's get this wrong, you know, and and open ourselves up to to bad technology going in. So, so that's where when you come back and, and basically my innovation strategy practice at Google is about, it's an exercise of causality. I look at cause and effect and I look at all of those things that, you know, what makes this successful and, and what makes you know, when you have somebody that says, like, I've had a hundred innovation projects and zero of them have gone in. It's like and then another person will say, I've had one innovation project and it and it put a hundred million dollars on our bottom line. So that's the one I will focus in on. I'm kind of simple like that. So um, but basically when you look at the the causality of of you know, and innovation isn't about coming up with ideas on a whiteboard and saying, "Oh, that would be really fun if we could make that happen," and then everybody goes back to their day job and, and status quo. Innovation, for me, is the actual outcome. It's the it's the delivery. It's the making it happen uh, because I'm, I'm an executor. So, uh, people always laugh when I say that. If somebody gives me an idea, I basically am like, "You know, oh, I put a setup up for that?" And we have this, and we're and we're executing. So, I'm all about delivering on outcomes, and the the key uh, is that. We want to make sure that if we're going to put gas in the tank, um, that that's going to get us as far as possible. And when you look at the causality of startup culture, foosball tables and beanbag chairs and 14 people that are sitting in a a space together developing something that's never been done before, and and a year later they have a billion dollar valuation. And the, the causality of that success is that belonging, because they are all there to do one thing, and they all belong to do that one thing. So now I work for a company that has you know one hundred and fifty thousand plus employees and many divisions and many. Um, and you know Sundar uh, sent a famous email which which came out in the in the press that was talking about you know let's be more entrepreneurial, like let's let's actually have a that entrepreneurial spirit. And 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 you know I'm glad that, that he's talking about the same thing I am, even though we've never talked about our ideas together. Um, but, but basically the, that's where my belonging is the fuel of innovation. Because when you build teams from the beginning and, you know, psychological safety is kind of a, sometimes it's a little bit of a trigger word, you know, I'm not solving like psychological safety for everything. I needed to come up with a concept that was simple for people to understand. And kindness is simple for people to understand. It's like, don't be mean, be kind. That's a t-shirt. So if it can fit on a bumper sticker, it's something we can do you know, globally and change the world. Yep. Um, because it's something that people don't really understand that when, you, when you're when you kind, um, that is gonna go a long way to, to building belonging mm-hmm. and it's gonna get you there. So, and we had a project that was being delivered at Google and we, you know, my partner in Transform With Kindness, she just stopped the project and, and said, we're gonna go back and, and regroup and we're gonna, instill psychological safety in because people just don't feel safe to speak up on the calls and it has a lot to do with it's not about the safe place because it's also very it's a very dangerous thing to say because um anybody who's been in you know any kind of environment where somebody says it's a safe place you can feel safe um usually that that means it's not so Mm -hmm. so i'm not trying to create that but what i'm trying to create is start from the executives down and say that When people push back against something that you say when when they challenge you that is not a a challenging your authority or them being outrageous or or what it is is them trying to come up with a with a way for us all to achieve these outcomes together and because when people speak up or they have an executive who's very boisterous on a call which you hear all the time and that person said okay team this is what we're going to do and this is how it's going to be done and and then the team just kind of you know says okay and they walk away and then they go back to their desk and say but if we do it that way um, nine months from now we're going to miserably fail because we didn't think about whatever and so it's that whatever that you need to get out and because I'm not interested in great ideas I'm interested in the implementation and outcomes derived from great ideas so it's a big difference long-winded I love it
1: and I'm going to use that because so many times we hear people talk about you know being kind and being nice it's just a nice thing to do doesn't necessarily drive commercial results and i think what you're saying and i'm completely sold is that being a good person leading with empathy and leading with kindness actually delivers better results whether that be better bottom line better products and services for our communities empowering people to make the right choices um, I love this thread of thinking so I'm inspired um Jim by that. I want to talk
0: you know I'm nodding. in radio. the radio I'm I'm, I'm agreeing. You agree. And I, and I just wanted to add the fact that like 39 years into my you know now that I'm 39 years into my career and I'm and I'm I'm older and wiser um every day but you know I didn't always I wasn't always kind. I tried the you know being a jerk route. Mm. Like being the guy who shut people down and and you know and I talk about this like I basically realize that the outcomes that you achieve then are worse than outcomes you achieve when you're kind. Um, so I'm I'm basically the the test case for that because there was because yeah. the reality is is that I went through like so much trauma and I was so so much PTSD because corporate America was so unkind to me and I and so to defend myself I used to put up this this angry firewall um so sometimes when you're you're being kind there's there's a time where you have to stop and get to know people and use empathy and understand what's going on and that's when i start talking about the whole heart leadership versus head leadership that comes from experience and and understanding i have executives who i mentor that come to me and say like i just don't understand like sometimes the team um you know i have this one person they're not performing very well and and I'm like, you know, have you, have you have you had a conversation with them? Have you asked them what's going on in their lives? Like, you know, has, because people talk about that. Oh, the best practices, understand what's going on with somebody. You know, they may be having something going on at home. Um, but when you bubble it all down, you know, most of the time people don't really, they don't really practice that. They just talk about it. And And so for me, you know, and my boss is a perfect example because Yi Chen is, is, is an is a amazing guy who just understands like if I'm having a bad day and I talk to him, he like knows that I'm having a bad day. He, he'll say like, is there anything that I can do to, to help you through this? And, and at Google, I had a, a bad partnering exercise and uh, I really wasn't getting along with the person and the person was kind of disregarding me, the first person they teamed me with. And, and it wasn't me that said anything, it was my boss. And I said, like, this is the first time this has ever happened. Like, like I'm going to put you on another team because I don't really like the dynamic that we have here. Wow. And I said, like, wow. Like, that's the first time that's ever happened. And and because usually just it's like let's just let you just people will usually just let you drown out, right? Yeah. So um but that that's what I, I learned a, a strong lesson in. And you know, one of my one of my favorite you know writers is Simon Sinek when it comes to this this. Uh, so I learned a lot just reading through reading through his books, and I remember the first time he sent me an email, I sent the group an email, and at the bottom of it there was a Simon Sinek quote. Right. it was like three days on the job, and I was like, okay, I made the right. I'm show. sold. Yeah, I'm in. Yeah. So I realized that 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 it does exist. Like you, because there there are people that are just very very bad at the empathetic leadership, and mm. and whenever I'm talking about like performance evaluations is a huge deal, like not just at Google, but the, the managers who wait to the end to basically say oh by the way your performance evaluation didn't come back very well and and we're putting you on a plan and there was no conversations for the whole like <laughs> I I I hate that that's not that that's like the 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 exact opposite of what I'm talking about and then you know people are like well I I transferred across country and my you know I had a relative die you know my cat died I I had to do and and I've had my mind's been other places and I have my Person saying that I'm not up to snuff at Google. It's like, dude, you've been there for like 45 days. Like, who's telling you that? You know, it's like, like I have to talk to this human. So that those kind of conversations actually happen. That's why I'm, I mentor over 170 people, um, inside and outside of Google, uh, because it's it's uh, I kind of open my open myself up to that. I was part of the the contract I made with myself. If like if you're going to be an activist, you have to actually help people or at least try. Yep. So. So I have a list of of people that I mentor, and I, I I basically rank them by tedious level so I can I can uh, not schedule too many at the same time. Okay, that's, a joke. that's a joke. It's a joke. Radio land.
1: <laughs> cue the laughter there from the audience. But but Jim, so I wrote an article a few months ago about this sort of topic around leading with kindness, and to be honest, I didn't even know if it was going to get published because you know I work at a bank, corporate banking, right? You don't typically. Think of kindness when you think of, you know, people who work in a bank. And I'm on a mission to change that um, because I, I, I'm i with you 100%. The research and actually just evidence in our home life and our work life tells us that people will gravitate around us and deliver for us when they feel connected. Like that great example you used of your boss stepping in to shut down a really negative conversation and have your back and support you. They are the kind of leaders that, that people want to work for, especially, you know, emerging talent. The next generation of talent are looking for companies where they will have people who will have their back. So I really want to change this narrative of, you know, the soft skills. Actually, the soft skills are the hard skills, you know. Um, And, you know, I'd, I'd just love to hear your take on, what are some of your comebacks if you like, around when someone says, "Oh you know you're too nice or kindness isn't going to get you far or you know nice people finish last um, what's your comeback and I'm throwing you on the spot there because it just i'm just so passionate about this topic
0: right I mean it, it, people always say that that kindness is a weakness and and uh, and you know and what what I usually come back and say is that kindness is a strength because it takes strength to lead people when you bring them into your heart and understand what's going on with them and that that basically is is you know what's at the heart of being kind is to actually care and and i can be kind you know and and you know kind isn't just about being courteous kind is about understanding you know the team the you know the team that i'm on at google they everybody knows that they can come to me for you know anything they can talk to me they can ask for my help i'm i'm there and you know people come back and say because if you don't have folks that that are that are you know where you where they feel like you actually care, you know the next opportunity that comes along they 're just out the door and people don't leave jobs they leave managers you know I know that's not my my quote but but that 's where this comes from and and people who actually feel like they belong and feel like their voice is being heard and feel like they're understood and when you talk about people like I go to a meeting, I share something. I, I just don't feel like I'm being heard. I don't feel like I'm being understood. Uh, I feel like I was being disregarded. Like all of these are are, are basically symptoms of, of a lack of kindness. And in 2008, uh, we did a study called Project Oxygen, uh, which is all around psychological safe teams and the performance that you get. And psychological safety is a, is a huge topic, as I said. Uh, but what we're talking about is just allowing people to not fear retribution for stating an idea or or maybe making a contribution into into the way something happens or the way something comes together a lot of people think like i'm leading a team so i need to lead the team and it's my way or the highway and if if they don't fit in the dynamic of my team the way that it that it runs then i'm just going to try to figure out a way to move them to another team or whatever so they're not interested in expanding and hearing people's thoughts they just want as much you know uh, cookie cutter human as possible Mm. and and you know what the project oxygen was talking about is that we just don't get the best out of people we're not getting the best out of those outcomes Mm. and and it's a it's a huge swing was like 40 percent more uh, delivery and which means for for us in google cloud you know 40 percent more outcomes and delivery of of what what our clients are asking us for Mm. so and if and you know with with ANZ you know you want us to bring our best team and and we we're going to bring the team that is you know that feels psychologically safe and is ready to innovate because innovation is hard because it's sometimes we're trying to do something uh, and an idea that gets brought on the table somebody may think it's not the right idea but when you start to think about it it is the right idea and we just don't don't have all the information coming in so we can we can actually make uh, make those outcomes come true and that's yeah. what you know we're that's why we took transform with kindness out to the to the street so. Mm.
1: And that probably um, is a great segue to talk a little bit about diversity in general, because you know a world in which you invite everybody to participate and contribute with these diverse perspectives is you know I think better better for everyone. I've heard you define diversity in a really unique but simple way. What's your definition of non- of diversity and in particular neurodiversity
0: well in the there's a, there's a backstory to that that when we are talking about neurodiversity and we're talking about Anything that's coming out, it's like a new term. Uh, you know, it, it's not the, the newest term, but we're almost doing like a, a public relations marketing type effort to say, uh, get people to understand the concept of what neurodiversity is. You know, what uh, what the makeup of that community is, and and using in a simple way so that so that people can actually walk away and say, you know, yes, I, I understand what that is. Uh, because sometimes these subjects become so complex that that people just can't get their their head around it. so I, I actually I, you know brainstormed my definition with with uh, you know our collaborator Tim Goldstein, who's a Googler and you know talking about you know what neurodiversity is. and the thing about the that's at the base of the definition is that we don't make up new definitions for words that make up other words. so you can't Forget about diversity if you put a narrow in front of it. So, uh, so that's why when we, and the, and the way I define it is if I'm looking out at a theater, it's a huge huge theater and there's a, there's a perfect cross section of, of the world population in there, you know, what I'm gonna see are a lot of physical distinctions. I see hair color, eye shape, nose shape, skin tones. Uh, that's all beautiful and that's diversity. Uh, but what I can't see is how they're interpreting the world around them. I uh, can't understand how their brain is wired, how their brain is interpreting everything that, that's going on around them. And that is called neurodiversity. And it's the same population. So it's not an othering activity, say, those neurodiverse people over there. Uh, because, you know, if you're sitting in a conference room right now, you know, look to the left and look to the right, and congratulations, you're all neurodiverse. And you make up this... This uh, you know, this wonderful population on Earth that includes diversity and includes neurodiversity. But for me, I was born uh, with blue eyes, which is a physical distinction. Uh, but I was also born autistic, which is a neurological distinction. So I, I basically identify as a as a blue-eyed neurodistinct, you know, human. So, and and so that's why I use the word neurodistinct and. Um, because there's other words out there. You know, there's words like neurodivergent that mm. is the scientific term. Um, but once again, we're trying to create messaging that is easily understood and easily consumable. And I would never walk up in the street and say, you look very physically divergent <laughs> to me. Because it's... So we want to make sure that these common common terms are, are easy for people to understand. And, and that's why I just use distinct and mm. neurodistinct for myself. And... And you know, when you look at the neurodiversity makeup, you know, 80% of people are neurotypical. Mm-hmm. And 20% of the world, so that's lots of people are neurodistinct. And it's not less than or more than or, or superpowers or all these other things. We just are trying to make the determination or, the, or, or trying to illustrate that the fact that not everybody perceives the world around them the same. And some people are born with something that actually impacts that. Now, the other part of that is that somebody can actually be neurodistinct if they go through a traumatic brain injury. So they can be, uh, you know, added, you know, come to to become neurodistinct if they have an accident or, or something. And and we also have to consider those folks. And and being autistic, it's like when people talk about neurodiversity, it's like neurodiversity is not about autistic, uh, but what works for the autistic works for everyone. That's where we. Come up with what's called neuroinclusive design. I mean, thinking about how everyone is going to perceive whatever you're trying to do, mm-hmm. and that neuroinclusive design and, and is extremely important um, because we consider all the things that you know, especially when you're when you're building a new app or something for the bank. You're making sure that everybody who's interacting with that is is able to interact with it and, and actually feels comfortable interacting with it. So. Mm-hmm. And I always talk about the example. It's like I'm a huge Marriott customer and I do do not like to call. I don't like inbound phone calls and I don't like making outbound phone calls. And I'm not alone. There's billions of people that feel the same way as me. So don't put me on a unique little island somewhere. But I am am basically, uh, I use the chat feature like, on on the Marriott app, as soon as that came out, I was like, I'm always chatting. I'm, I think they're my friends. I'm like, hey, I'm in the Uber on my way to check in. So, you know, I'm almost there, and <laughs> and it's like, just we'll see you when you get here, sir. So, but I was, you know, I look at those things like as they as they evolve, and when you add those things, and I and I talk about you know in healthcare all the time, like how those the Sometimes the the healthcare system is just not like I talk about the the the, the fact that innovation is a very low hanging fruit because you can't even make an appointment for something that you need. It's a and I'll call and make an appointment, leave a voicemail, and they're like calling me back, and it's like I'm on I'm on meetings ten hours a day, and they're not going to be there when I'm mm. done. And so I'm just like, why can't I chat with you? Why can't I text with you? Why can't I? And and there's just so much low hanging fruit that's yeah. all out there. But that all goes towards that really important, you know, neuro-inclusive um, design or universal design to make sure that, especially when you're dealing with how people perceive the world and how they perceive that, uh, you know, the actual neurological impact of what that um, solution is, or even if it's a space, even if it's a process, uh, to understand that, you know, those are the things that need to be modified and, and doing it in such a way where we include all kinds of way people think.
1: Gotcha. So, so much opportunity out there to improve and we need all of those different perspectives. So, I could talk to you for hours, Jim, but I think we're going to wrap up. I want to leave um, our listeners with some practical tips. So, you talked um, really openly some great ideas there around inclusive design. Can we leave... um, our listeners with some practical tips on how to build that psychological safety and more inclusivity in their team. So I know you've got some great tips. Your hand feature for instance was a great one. So how to be more inclusive in the hybrid world?
0: Right, well the you know we talk about accessibility and and you know the the you know I use the raise hand feature all the time when it comes to Google Meet because being autistic if you're on a meeting with like 40 people, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything unless I can actually have a way where I can stop the cadence of that meeting, slow things down to where I can actually enter um, the conversation. Because for me, it's like a, a super highway with like things are traveling like ten thousand miles an hour, and and I have a very hard time gauging when I should get in the conversation. So it's a perfect example of something that came from the autistic community uh, to d- actually do a raise hand feature, and and that was uh, you know that that's basically in the accessibility realm, but in the psychological safety. When, you know, not, not solving psychological safety for everyone, for the, all the professors listening, um, but, but talking about like if we're building a, a team to come into ANZ and we wanna, we wanna deliver an outcome or we wanna deliver a series of outcomes, it's about the foundational commitment that we're gonna make sure that everybody has a voice and not a voice that's going to slow things down, but we want to make sure that all voices are heard and all voices are considered. And we do that by setting those rules right at the beginning. And in every meeting, we're talking about how, uh, you know, if you have an idea, please chime in. If you don't feel comfortable chiming in, please, you know, email. If you want to email anonymously, you can do that. Um, because people don't bring their, their, their best ideas forward because they're afraid um, that they're going to have some sort of retribution or they're going to make somebody look Look bad, and they're worried about what the perception of leadership is going to be. Um, and so that's why we always start with the leaders and say, like, this may seem more unorthodox to you, but this person is not pushing. This this person who is on your project team, even if they're from another company, they are not pushing back on you to try to slow uh, delivery. They're actually trying to make it better for you. So, uh, so so be, so that commitment comes from the executive level to make sure that we create that that psychological safety you know and it's a huge topic and i'm just talking about like on a project team like making sure that all the ideas come forward and 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 we're bringing the best because you know people come to google because our culture allows us to deliver outcomes uh, because we 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 basically come in and talk about this and um, i would i would venture to guess that if we aren't delivering the outcomes um you know that's something that that, you know, it was gonna go directly back to the fact that somebody's not listening about how to make it psychologically safe from the beginning, so um, so that's my commitment, so. Well said. There you go.
1: Jim, incredibly grateful for your time today. Thank you so much.